Welcome to the Reliance Community Podcast. Worship with us on Sunday mornings at 9 o'clock or 10.45 a.m. We hope you're encouraged by today's message. Amen. How many of you guys love you some Jesus this morning? Yeah? Man, it's, uh, it's good to have you with us. If you're a visitor, uh, it's, it's, it's good to have you here. We call ourselves a family, and so uh, by default, you're part of the family. Um, we, we were gone last week. There was a group of, of 31 men uh, who went to Colorado uh, on the men's ski trip. We only had like 26 beds, so there was a lot of sleeping on the floor, right? But let me tell you something, man. God moved in, 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 in every, I believe, in every one of those men's hearts up there. Um, we, we could tell you all were praying for us. We could tell you guys were, were, were with us and, and, and just, yeah, just praying for us um, because God's, we go there and we love the skiing. And I'm going to tell you, it was fun skiing. But really what happens um, that we go up there for is what happens in the evenings. And you saw 31 guys laying hands on one another, praying for one another every single night. There were guys that were listening to what God had and speaking life over another man. Isn't that amazing? I'm telling you right now. You, you don't get that very, very often when you get a bunch of guys together where they want to pray for one another and speak life over one another. But we heard it was a great time here as well. Uh, I heard Matt Lowry brought a great word. Good job, Matt. Uh, man, we're, we're so blessed to have just preaching and teaching teams um, like we have here at Reliance. And so I'm, I'm excited about that. So uh, Matt kind of kicked us off in this new series that we're starting called Warring. And uh, we're talking about warring through different things. Like how do we war in worship? How do we use worship as, a, as warfare against the enemy and give glory to God? And, and so we're talking about these different ways in which we war because we know that at the end of the day, we're in a battle. Scripture says we're in a battle. Like we're not battling against flesh and blood. We're going to talk about that in a minute. But we know that we're in this battle. And so the question is, how do we war in the ways of God? Like what, what's our warfare when it comes to the ways of God and not the ways of the world? And so uh, Matt talked about how we war through worship and brought a great word on that. And I heard it was just an awesome time of even breaking up into groups and praying uh, for one another. And so, man, that's, we love to get people out of comfortability, all right? And if that was you last week and you're back, well, then you must have loved it, okay? Um, then today we're going to talk about warring through intercession. Everybody say intercession. And we're going to talk about what intercession is all about. And then um, next week, Sam McVeigh is coming. Um, Sam McVeigh leads uh, uh, the group that really does the citywide prayer and worship across the city. And he's going to be talking about warring by praying through Scripture. How do we pray Scripture and war by praying through Scripture? And then the last week, we're going to talk about fasting. And so whether you're here for the first time or, or whether you've been here a long time, our goal here at Reliance, our approach in ministry is to see an awakening in the church. Like, that's what we want to see. We want to see an awakening in the church. And we don't want to see an awakening in a building. Hear, hear my heart. We, we want to see an awakening in people because we believe that the church is people. So, so we've got brothers and sisters all over the city right now that are worshiping in different places. And so we believe that, that our goal here, our approach in ministry is an awakening of God's people, which we call revival. Everybody say Revival. And then what we want to see in that revival is we want to see the redemption of our city. We want to see the redemption of the state of Kansas. We want to see the redemption of the United States. We want to see the, see, want to see the redemption of our world because we believe that that's the mandate of Scripture on our hearts, that when the church experiences revival, 
that when you and I get stirred in our hearts and believe what God says, that when you and I get stirred on our hearts and believe that what God says in his word is what he means and that we carry with us an innate value in Jesus Christ and power through the Holy Spirit, that we will see redemption happen in the world. Amen, church? So this is, this is what our approach is. This is what we're after. This is our goal. This is why we gather together on Sunday mornings. We don't gather together to tell you funny stories only, all right? We don't gather together just to watch ski trip videos. We don't gather together to do this. We gather together. Our approach, our goal is that we see revival in God's people then that will stir redemption in our world. And that's what we're after. That's what we want. And I want you to know, I believe that we owe we owe it to the lost. We owe it to the city to create environments where Jesus can be seen as he really is. Amen? Like we owe it to, to the, the lost. We owe it to a broken world. We, we owe it to people who've never encountered Jesus to create environments where Jesus can be seen as he really is. Not in how the world perceives him, because we know how the world perceives Jesus. We know how the world perceives God, that God's up there with lightning bolts looking to throw them down and just judge you because you're a wretched person and that's all God's looking to do. So we owe it to the lost to create these environments where people come in that are broken and they find whole healing in him. Like we owe it to the lost for people to be able to come into environments that feel like that God could never love them and they find the love of God in their life. Amen, church? Like this is the heartbeat of what the church should be all about. And so how do we do this? You know, it's, it's great to have this plan. It's great to have this goal. It's great to have this approach. But at the very core, how do we get to that place? How do we create those environments? And so to me, I believe that we create those environments by the start of prayer. That we saturate this place in prayer, that we saturate our communities in prayer, that we walk our neighborhoods in prayer, that we saturate the state in prayer, and that overall, man, prayer becomes the sweeping theme of America. Amen? Something Jesus does in Matthew 21 kind of alludes to this. Um, if you've ever read Matthew 21, and, and especially we read it during the Passion Week or Holy Week, it's, it's kind of that Psalm Sunday verse where Jesus comes riding into Jerusalem on the donkey. You guys remember that? And uh, you'll hear it again, I'm sure, here in, in, a, in a few months when, when Easter rolls around. But Jesus comes riding in on, on a donkey during, during Palm Sunday in that triumphal entry, and he goes straight to the temple. You guys remember what happens at the temple? This like really weird scene plays out at the temple. So here's Jesus. Everybody's just laid Hosanna, said Hosanna before him, laid these palm branches. Jesus rides up to the temple, makes like this whip out of leather and starts like raging on people, right? And it was righteous anger. It was righteous anger that he had. He was getting, he was clearing the temple because in the temple in that moment, what was happening was there were people that were cheating one another. They were selling things. They weren't after the things of God. They were, there, was, there, was, there was people that were in there and basically they were just robbing people. And so if you remember, Jesus clears the temple out and here's what he says in Matthew chapter 21, verse 13. It is written, he said to them, my house will be called a house of prayer. Somebody say prayer. My house will be called a house of prayer, but you are making it a den of robbers. Jesus is quoting something from Isaiah 56, 7, something that was prophesied long time ago where God says, my house will be called a house of prayer. 
And so Jesus, in this moment right here, Jesus is giving us the one activity that his house is supposed to be defined as. Jesus is defining the one activity that his house is supposed to be defined as. He didn't say, my house will be a house of good intentions. Did you notice that? He didn't say, my house will be a house of preaching. Did you notice that? He didn't say, my house will be a a house of good programs. Amen, church? He said, my house will be a house of what? Of prayer. My house will be a house of prayer. Here's what Jesus is doing. He's going into the temple. He's restoring the right identity of what the temple is supposed to be about. And let me tell you why that's so important. Because now, who's the temple of the Lord? Everybody raise your hand. We are. Jesus comes. Jesus dies on the cross. The temple veil is torn. The presence of God no longer dwells in the temple. The presence of God dwells in us. Now we've become the temple. And let me tell you, so why that's so profound? Because now God wants to clear out everything else in our life that's keeping us from fervent prayer lives. Jesus is trying to clear out everything in our life that's distracting us from digging into intimacy with the Lord and going after him with everything that we have in our prayer life. And let me tell you why I know this is so true and why I know this is so strategic for the enemy. Because you ask the most people, you ask the average person, what is it that you struggle with the most? Most hands say prayer. Most hands say fervent prayer life. Not drive-by prayers where I pray for breakfast, lunch, and dinner. Amen? But I'm talking about a deep-seated prayer life where you know from the very depths of your heart that you're communing with the God of the universe, not over whether or not your food is good or not, or it's blessing to your body, which is great, but you're deep-seated praying and communing with the God of the universe for the redemption of the planet. So Jesus comes in and he's trying to get us back to a right identity inside of ourselves. And we know that in scripture it says, judgment begins in the house of the Lord, amen? So we're not out there preaching on the street corners saying, you need to have revival. We're not out there and, and, and on the pre- pre- preaching on the street corners with bullhorns on our mouth saying, you need to have revival. We're going back into the churches saying, you need to have revival. You need to be stirred to revival because the redemption of the world is hinging on the church being revived again. Amen? Come on now. Amen? Amen. Amen. And so we're talking about this identity of warring with that then, warring with prayer. And I always find it funny because, and I know Matt kind of shared a little story last week, but I'll share a story like I've got two boys and and two girls. My boys can find weapons out of anything. Anybody's boys like that, right? Everything to my sons becomes some type of a, a, a weapon, and, 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 and they always like to do things and so, um, with those. And so we, we, I, I introduced them to Rocky III a couple months ago, all right? And right after Rocky III, we've got boxing gloves because they do like to go at it. But right after, it turned into like this huge boxing ring in my basement. It was awesome, right? And they all wanted to be Rocky, and I'm like, that's so fake. Mr. T would have destroyed Rocky, yeah? You guys with me? And, and, and yet, so here they are, they're strapping their gloves on, but it turns in from gloves, and then they find weapons, like anything they can find, and usually it turns into swords. You guys know what I mean? Like everything becomes a sword fight. So they've got boxing gloves on, gripping something, and they're having sword fights. And as a father, I'm kind of proud in that moment, all right? They can find weapons out of anything. But you know what nobody is picking as a weapon? Prayer. 
Like when my kids are finding things for weapons, there's not one time where, where, where one of them picks up a sword and they say, I've got a sword, and the other one says, I've got prayer, and they drop to their knees and pray for their brother, right? Like I've never seen that in my nine or my 13-year-old where they're like, pick your weapon, and one of them says, I'm gonna pray for you, right? For, for first of all, it would weird the other one out, all right? Like, mom, tell him to stop, tell him to stop. Nobody does that because nobody sees prayer as a weapon. Because nobody sees prayer as a weapon that has power. And I know that, that in those moments where they're doing those things, obviously that's kids' play. But my question is, do we see today prayer as a weapon? Does it stir our hearts to know that one of the greatest weapons that God has given us is an opportunity to commune with him? It's a mentality shift. It's a mentality shift that we have to have in life. We think we need all of these other weapons to fight in life, yet the greatest weapon that we've been given is our prayer life. Why do you think the enemy spends so much time trying to distract you from this? Ephesians 12, Ephesians 6 verse 12 says, for our struggle Our battle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the powers of this dark world, and against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. This is what our battle is against. It's not against flesh and blood. No sword is going to protect you except the sword of the Spirit. Amen? No sword, no, no, no physical thing like that is going to protect you. And so what is our greatest weapon when we're fighting the enemy? It's this prayer life. It's the word of God. And that's why it's so important that we work through this together. Because I don't know that all of us see this in life. I think sometimes we go after the weapons that feel good, the self-help weapons in our life, the change this behavior or that behavior in my life. And yet our greatest weapon is prayer. I think that's why Paul gives this, this, this word in 2 Corinthians chapter 10, verses 3 through 5. He says, for though we live in the world, we do not wage war. Everybody say war. As the world does. The weapons we fight with are not the weapons of the world. On the contrary, they have divine power to demolish strongholds. And you you know what Jesus did when he was demolishing strongholds? He was praying to his father, and his father was demolishing those strongholds. You know what Jesus did when he saw that the lame need healed, the blind needed to see? You know what Jesus did when he saw that the dead were in their grave and they needed to come out? He believed in what his father said, that all power and authority had been given to him, and he called them out through prayer with his father. Church, this is it, man. We've got divine power that demolishes every stronghold. We demolish arguments, every pretension that sets itself up against the knowledge of God, and we take captive every thought and we make it obedient to Christ. In a book called Crafted Prayer that I was able to get from someone at one point, um, Graham Cook says this, it is time to use prayer as a weapon We must grow up in our intercession, becoming the joyful, confident men and women God has destined us to be. Our prayer lives can be the most richly rewarding part of our walk with God if we just take the time to enter his presence with thanksgiving, to still ourselves until we can rest in his secret place. Listen to this. Then we can ask the Holy Spirit to reveal to us what the conversation in heaven is over our situation, and we can craft a prayer which will be answered. Amen, church? So let me, let me tell you why this is unfortunately a problem for us, because we, we've made prayer a last resort. 
you've heard me say this over and over when we've talked about prayer. We've made prayer to be what happens when nothing else works. Did you guys notice that? We've made prayer to be what happens when nothing else works. We've made prayer to be a weak imitation of what God intended. And so what we do is a situation happens in our life and we do everything we can to fix it. And then when it doesn't get fixed, what do we do? We call on our prayer warriors. We try everything else that we can do to try to fix our marriage, fix our finances, fix our work situation, fix our relationships, fix our depression, fix our fears, fix whatever, our addictions. We, we, we work on it, we work on it, we work on it, we go, 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 go. We do all these things, and then when, when it doesn't pan out like we wanted it to pan out, then all of a sudden we do something different. We go, ah, I guess I'm just going to pray about it. And I do that. I don't know if you're like me, but that's what I do. I work all these other things out, and then all of a sudden, I pray about it when it's all said and done. And here's the deal. From, from the time that we say yes to Jesus, we know that we're told we're supposed to pray. You know, don't forget to pray. Set a time side to pray. And yet, here we are in this room, and all of us confess like we struggle with prayer from time to time. And I think there's various reasons, but I even think in, in, in church background, we've set ourselves up for failure in it. I've grown up in the church my whole life as a, as a pastor's son, and, and I've shared this with you before, but in our younger years, sometimes it was like, if you screwed up, if you messed up, you know, you got sent to your room and you were told to pray about it. It was like a form of punishment, right? Like, you go to your room and you pray about it, and you're like, well, I'm not gonna pray about it, right? And then if you came in late to Sunday school class, Guess who had to pray? The one who was late. It became a form of what? Punishment. Or like right now, if I were to ask you, hey, I'm going to pick somebody out here to pray for us as we close out, every head would go, chink. <laughs> right? Because there's something within us that's like, I'm not, I can't do it. I'm not good enough to pray. So for whatever reason, we have these things that have built up. Our concepts of prayer have been built up around prayer is kind of like a punishment if you, you, know, you do something bad. Prayer is kind of a, a punishment if you come in late. Prayer is like a punishment if you get called upon to pray. And so we've built these, wrong, these, these kind of wrong concepts or perceptions of, of prayer. Yet John Piper says this, prayer is not for the enhancement of our comforts, but for the enhancement of Christ's kingdom. Amen. Prayer isn't about you and I being comfortable. Prayer is about the enhancement of what God wants to do in his kingdom. And all over scripture in the New Testament, we read where prayer can be difficult at times, but yet necessary. Paul says it, labor with me. Everybody say labor. Labor with me in prayer. Like labor with me in prayer. Work with me. Work it out with me. It's not easy. I get it. Work with me in prayer and watch God do something. We are, we, we've lost our focus on, on why it's so crucial to our growth in Christ when it comes to prayer. We've lost our focus on what is so crucial to growth in Christ, to understanding his will and his purpose over our life. And that is the weapon in which the enemy is scared the most of in our life, the weapon in which the enemy wants to keep us from the most at in our life, and that is communing with the God of the universe. He just simply doesn't want it to happen. That's why every time you begin to pray, distractions come in your mind. That's why every time you begin to sit down and say, I'm going to pray about this, something happens. Your phone rings. You get the text message. Kid comes in crying. Boss comes in. Every time that you begin to sit down and try to dig into prayer, the enemy's trying to put distractions into your life. Why? Because he does not want you to commune with God. Because he knows when you do, power comes. Revival comes. Redemption of the city comes. Redemption of the planet comes. 
We need prayer. It's wartime, church. It's wartime. Revival is needed again. I'm going to quote one more from John Piper. He says this, we think it's peacetime because when it's wartime, you pray. When your boy's on the front line, you pray. When your girl's on the front line, you pray. The spouses of those whose men and women are in Iraq, Afghanistan, right now, how well do you think they're praying right now? Better than you? Those people who have a 19-year-old on a mountaintop in Afghanistan behind a machine gun taking shots every day, how well do you think they pray? Better than you? Absolutely they do. Why? Because there is an absolute knowledge that they're at war and there's imminent danger and there's an imminent threat to the lives of their loved ones. But since most of us don't view the Christian life through those lenses, we're not led to pray. We're not led to cry out. We're not led to get into our children's rooms, get on our knees and pray in Jesus' name for protection, for salvation, for the ability to discern what is lies and what is truth. We're not driven to pray for our spouses, that they not be deceived, that they not be tricked, that the Holy Spirit would protect and enlighten them. We're not driven to prayer because we don't understand that there's a lion trying to destroy us. Man, it's what scripture says. The enemy roars around like a lion seeking to devour and destroy. This is your life. This is what you're contending with on a daily basis. This is what's after you on a daily basis, church. You are at war. Whether you like it or not, you're at war. And the greatest weapon that you have, man, is this opportunity to commune with the God of the universe. And this is why intercessory prayer is so important. So let me just talk to you a little bit about what this looks like. So when we talk about intercessory prayer, we're talking about prayer that bridges the gap between God and other people, okay? And, and so intercession defined is the action of intervening. Somebody say intervening. The action of intervening on behalf of another. The action of being the go-between between God and another, the action of being in the middle between God and another person. So scripture tells us that when we pray prayers of intercession, we are building bridges between God and the people that we pray for. First Timothy 2.1, Paul exhorts Timothy. He says to Timothy, I urge you, first of all, I urge you, first of all, to pray for all. Somebody say all. For all people. How many out there is praying for all people. You don't have to raise your hand. He says, I urge you, first of all, Timothy, listen, listen, Timothy, before anything else, before you do anything else, Timothy, I urge you to pray for all people. Ask God to help them intercede on their behalf. Stand in the middle of whatever it is they're going through. Stand in the middle if they're lost. Stand in the middle if they're broken. Stand in the middle if they can't get out of their stronghold. Go between them and God and give thanks for them. So here's what we're doing. In a practical sense, we're, we're grabbing the hand of God over here, okay? So God, I know you, prayer's my weapon, intercession's my weapon, I'm gonna grab your hand. And John over here doesn't know that he's lost. John over here doesn't know how to get out of his brokenness. So here's the deal, I'm gonna grab the hand of God and I'm gonna grab the hand of John, even if John doesn't know it, even if John doesn't want anything to do with it, I'm gonna grab the hand of John, spiritually speaking, I'm gonna grab the hand of God, I'm gonna stand in between and I'm gonna intercede that somehow God's hand is gonna connect with John's hand. Amen? I'm going to press in, and I'm going to keep pressing in. I'm going to keep digging in. I'm going to say, God, will you open up John's heart that he knows that you love him? 
Will you show John so much value that there's no way that he can walk away today not knowing that he's loved? I know you can do it, Father, because I know it's your will, God. And you're always about your will, Father. And so you pray for John and you don't give up no matter what. And you continue to pray until there's that encounter between John and Jesus. And here's the promise in 1 John chapter 5, verse 14. And you, you all know who your Johns are, right? We all have a John in our life. We all have a person in our life that needs that encounter. 1 John 5, 14 says this. This is the confidence that we have in approaching God. Listen to this, church. This is the confidence that we have in approaching God, that if we ask anything, somebody say, according to his will. If we ask anything according to his will, he hears us. Man, what is God's will? Like we know Jesus says, I came to set the captives free. I came to set the prisoners free. I came to heal. I came to restore. I came to redeem. What is it that we desire? We want revival. Why do we want revival? Because we want to see the redemption of the city. We want to see the redemption of the United States. We want to see the redemption of the world. What is God's will? That redemption comes, church. We're praying in God's will. We're interceding and we're saying, God, I know that you want John to know you. Your word says that none shall perish, but that all should find life in you. So I'm going to grab his hand and I'm going to grab your hand and I'm going to link him up and I'm going to pray every day without ceasing, believing that you're going to do something, God, because you've got a plan. That's what we're doing. (laughs) How important is this? It's so important that God set it up for us. God set this up for us in Romans 8.34 and Romans 8.26. Real quickly, God set this up for us. And he says this in Romans 8.34, that who, who then is the one who condemns? No one. Christ Jesus died. More than that, who was raised to life is at the right hand of God and is also interceding for us. So Jesus is in heaven at the right hand of the Father interceding for us about God's will. So he's like, God, I know that you want them to know your value. So Jesus is praying value into us right now. God, I I know that you want them to know that they've got power in the Holy Spirit. Jesus is praying that over our life right now. He's interceding for you and I to know those things. And then if that wasn't enough, Romans 8, 26 through 27. In the same way, the Spirit helps us in our weakness. We do not know what we ought to pray for, but the Spirit himself intercedes. Somebody say intercedes. For us through wordless groans. So there are times where the Spirit of God is literally interceding with us through things that we don't even understand, through words that we don't even get. And then he says this, and he who searches our hearts knows the mind of the Spirit because the Spirit intercedes for God's people in accordance with the will of God. There's so many scriptures. I wish I could rattle them all off for you. Jesus, Jesus in John 17, 20, jot that down. Jesus in John 17, 20, Jesus intercedes for us. When he says, I'm praying not only for these disciples, but for all who will believe in me through this message. And he rattles off that they would know the love of him, that they would know the love of the Father. Paul prays it in Ephesians chapter 3, verses 14 through 19. For this reason, I kneel before the Father, from whom every family in heaven and on earth derives its name. I pray that out of his glorious riches, he may strengthen you with the power in his spirit in your inner being, so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith, that you be rooted and established in love, that you have power together with all of God's holy people, and on and on and on. So here's Jesus interceding. Here's Paul interceding. Go back to the Old Testament. Moses intercedes 
Moses intercedes in Numbers chapter 14, verse 13. God's like, man, he's tired of the disobedience of the people. God's like, I'm going to come through. I'm taking everybody out. I'm going to slaughter them all. I'm taking everybody out. And Moses begins to pray. It says literally in verse in 13, Numbers 14, 13, Moses objected. Have you ever objected to God? Anybody out there? You're brave soul, brave soul. Moses objected. Now, if you slaughter all of these people with a single blow, the nations that have heard of your fame will say, the Lord was not able to bring them to the land that he swore to give them, so he killed them in the wilderness. Please, Lord, prove that your power is as great as you have claimed, for you said the Lord is slow to anger and filled with unfailing love, forgiving every kind of sin and rebellion, but he does not excuse the guilty. In keeping with your magnificent unfailing love, please pardon the sins of these people just as you have forgiven them ever since they left Egypt. Look at verse 20. Somebody highlight verse 20. Then the Lord said, I will pardon them as you have requested. You're just telling me that a man requested something from the Lord for people that deserved what was about to come upon them, and God heard his intercession and pardoned an entire people? Do you see where redemption can come, church? Yeah? Do do you see why this is so important for us to know? Because here's Moses standing in the gap between the Israelites and Moses grabbing the hand of God and saying, I know you're, you're full of unfailing love, God, and I know that you're slow to anger, God. And so I'm going to ask you, I'm going to object to something that you said. And God, knowing Moses' heart and being so intimately connected with Moses, God looks at Moses' heart and says, I know you're pure, Moses, so I'm going to listen to you. I'm going to hear you out. And God, Moses grabs God's hand and says, you're, you're full of unfailing love. And I know you've got a bunch of disobedient children over here called the Israelites, but I'm going to bridge the gap in the middle, and God, that they would just encounter you. God, that they would just see you. God, that they would just know your unfailing love. This is intercession. This is what we're doing. This is what we're after. This is where intercession is taking place. You're their advocate. Jesus is our great advocate, and you're also advocating for John or whoever your John is out there. Because intercession is birthed out of love. The two great commandments, the number one great commandment, love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. The second Jesus says is what? Love your neighbor as yourself. Love your neighbor as yourself. You you and I, we pray for ourselves. I mean, there's days where we go through it, man. We're like, God, just take this from me, take this from me. And so if I'm praying for, for me at times, you better believe I need to be praying for my neighbor, interceding for my neighbor because intercession is birthed out of love. Real quickly, intercession stokes, intercession stirs the fires of revival and redemption. This is why intercession is so important. Intercession stirs the fires of revival and redemption. You you, you heard us say we want to see revival in the church, redemption in the city. We've said that over and over and over. Let me show you how this shifts atmospheres. David, and, and you can take time to look this up, in First Chronicles um, chapter 15, roughly through chapter 24, you read about how David set up this thing that they called Davidic worship. And it was just the way that they worshiped God when David was king. So David, when he was king, he, he builds this tabernacle for the Lord. He commanded the Ark of the Covenant to come in, which was God's presence, and, 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 and it was to be brought into Jerusalem. And then David did this. He placed um, a tent and, and he put God's, God, the Ark of the Covenant in this tent. And David calls 288 prophetic singers and prayer warriors to go into the tent. 
And then he has 4,000 musicians worship people. And here's what scripture says, to intercede and give thanks and praise to the Lord. Day and night, during his reign, they prayed and they sang praises 24 hours a day, seven days a week. It was like unlike anything else in Israel's history before. During the time of the reign of King David and this day and night worship, listen to this church, there were no wars in the city of Jerusalem. So the whole record, it seems like, of the Old Testament, seems like it's when foreign kings and armies and the Assyrians and the Babylonians and the Romans are all coming in. They're constantly destroying Jerusalem. They're constantly destroying Jerusalem. They're cause- so during this time, when they interceded and they had people 24 hours a day, seven days a week, praying, worshiping, going after the heart of God, in those 33 years, there was no war that broke out in Jerusalem. And not only that, David was continuously victorious in all the wars that he did go out to. 33 years centered on worship and intercession. So every time that this took place in the Old Testament, so David, at the end of his reign, David commanded all the kings, do this, worship the Lord like this, with worship and intercession, go after the heart of God like this. Every time in the Old Testament, there were about seven revivals that took place in the Old Testament where the people of God were revived to the things of God and they came back to God. And in those seven times or those seven revivals that took place in the Old Testament, all seven of them were related to worship and intercession that was going on 24-7. This is nothing new. Like, like you hear about what we're desiring, but you're also hearing about what happened in the Old Testament. This is nothing new. Nothing new. The Lord's going to do it again. Amen, church? We pray this famous scripture verse, 2 Corinthians 7, 14 through 15. If my people who are called by my name will humble themselves and somebody say pray. And pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways. I will hear from heaven, forgive their sins, and restore their land. My eyes will be open, my ears attentive to every. Somebody say every. Every prayer made in this place. Every prayer made in this place. But here's the key. He's talking about doing this thing corporately. I'm not saying don't have a quiet time. Have a quiet time. You need a quiet time. I'm saying there's something about corporate intercession when we're doing this thing together that stirs the heart of God for revival fires and redemption of a city. There's something that happens when we corporately gather in prayer. I'm gonna share a couple stories with you guys real quick. So the band may be playing for just a minute. <laughs> There's a guy by the name of Jeremiah Lampfear. He helped birth the third great awakening. You're asking, can this happen? Yes, it can happen and it can happen again. Listen to this. Jeremiah Lampfear, he, he put an advertisement out in the 1850s. He put an advertisement out for prayer. And America needed prayer in the 1850s. The United States was spiritually bankrupt, politically bankrupt, economically in a decline. Banks were failing, railroads were failing, um, banks were going bankrupt, railroads were going bankrupt, factories were closing, unemployment increased. And so then all of a sudden he puts this ad out and he says, hey, we're going to start a prayer meeting September 13th or September 23rd, 1857. We're going to start a prayer meeting for business people at lunchtime. And during that time, nobody began to come at the start. But a couple trickled in over the weeks, started with about six people. He didn't moan about the six people who came in for the prayer meeting. He didn't say, man, only six people showed up. I put a whole advertisement out there and only six people showed up. He dug in with those six people. 
He believed what God said in scripture that where two or three are gathered in my name, God's in the midst of it, amen? He had hoped more would come, but he didn't know what revival was about to come. He was in Manhattan, New York, from 12 to 1 p.m., noon, daytime prayer meetings were beginning. The first few weeks, those six showed up. Then all of a sudden, something happened. A downturn happened in the stock market. Stocks began to crash at an all-time high. All of a sudden, that six turned into 20 people. That 20 turned into 40 people. They decided, we need a bigger building. So they got into a bigger building. They said, you know what? We don't need to do this just once a week. We need to do this every single day. So they decided to start a daily prayer meeting at at noon to 1 p.m. And all of a sudden, within weeks of that down crash of the, the stock market, the Fulton Street prayer meetings began to be birthed. 3,000 business people started coming in the following weeks. They would have 10 minutes of worship. They would have 50 minutes of prayer. So many people were just desiring to pray that they had to have a bell. They would ring a bell after every five minutes so a new person could get up and pray. By November, cities all over the United States began to start these prayer meetings at noon. 10,000 business men gathered all across New York at noon to pray. These were what the newspaper headlines were saying during this time. In Bethel, Connecticut, business shutting down for an hour a day, everybody prays. Albany, New York, state legislators get down on their knees. Upstate New York, ice on the Mohawk River is broken up for baptisms. Newark, New York, firemen's prayer meeting attracts 2,000. Washington, D.C., five prayer and worship meetings go around the clock. New Haven, Connecticut, revival sweeps Yale University. Amen? It was said that President Buchanan would take an hour from noon to one and pray with the rest of the nation. Listen to this. It was said that there was such a canopy of revival of the presence of the Holy Spirit that it felt like there was a cloud, an invisible cloud, like an invisible presence hanging over the United States, especially the eastern coast where this was taking place. Listen to these reports. It was said that it even seemed to creep out into the sea. Ships approaching the East Coast at times felt a presence, a holy influence, a hundred miles away without knowing what was happening in America. Listen to this. Revival began to spread across each one of the ships. Before reaching the coast, people on board began to feel the presence of God and sense of their own sin. The Holy Spirit began to convict and they began to, they began to pray. And as the ship neared the harbor, the captain signaled, please send a minister to board the ship. Another small commercial ship arrived in port with the captain saying, every member on the crew has been converted or saved when we were about 150 miles out. Come on now, amen? Ship after ship after ship arrived with the same report. That comes from a book called Revival Fires where they documented what happened in the 1850s with the third great awakening that blew through the United States. Something began to stir in the hearts of the people. Matt talked about this a little bit last week and I just wanna share it again today. The same thing 
is coming to Wichita, Kansas. I believe it. There's a group of people that are putting together a 24-7 prayer for, for every single day of the month. And Reliance is signing up. So they're looking for 31 churches that say, will you give one day a month, 12 times a year, will your church sign up one day a month to cover all 24 hours in prayer where somebody's praying around the clock during your day of the month? And we said, absolutely. 31 churches signing up for that one day a month where prayer is going to be non-stop happening in the city. And let me tell you why we believe that this is going to bring revival. Because this is birthed out of a movement that we've talked about in here before called the Moravian Prayer Movement. i got to read this to you real quick. I promise I'm almost done. The Moravian Prayer Movement was a hundred-year prayer movement of continuous prayer in 1727. There was a man named Count Zinnendorf. He was so moved in his life one day as he was staring at an art gallery and he was looking at a picture of Christ and at the bottom of the picture it was written, all this I did for you, what are you doing for me? That he would set aside whole days of nights of praying and fasting and all of a sudden for a hundred years this prayer movement began to take off. The numbers were around 70 people from the community where they prayed 24 hours a day, seven days a week for a hundred years. Somebody say a hundred. And in that time of a hundred years was one of the greatest movements of God. It birthed out one of the greatest mission movements to ever be recorded. People were leaving their jobs, leaving their homes, selling themselves into slavery so that they could go into other countries and foreign lands and take the gospel message of Jesus Christ. From that Moravian prayer movement of a hundred years, God moved. And in two decades, more Moravians were sent out as missionaries than all Protestants and Anglicans had sent out in the previous two centuries. Why? For the redemption of the world. So here's what I want to do. Man, I wish we had more time. I'm going to we put that last slide that I have up there. We've got lots of prayer opportunities in the city. Every Thursday morning we pray here at Reliance in a thing called morning, noon, and night prayer. Our prayer time is at 8.30. There's prayer happening in the city somewhere at some church at some place every morning, noon, and night. We've got the citywide prayer that takes place about every two months. Every two to three months there's a citywide gathering where everybody gathers together in prayer. We're going to start fasting together as a church. We're going to pick one time a month or one time a week. We're going to start fasting for those that want to do it. This 24-7 prayer that I just talked about, you're going to see things going around. What, what hour are you going to take? You're going to take the 1 o'clock a.m. shift? You're going to take the 3 a.m. shift? You're going to have an opportunity to pray with us in that 24-7. We have prayer walks that are happening in the city right now. People are walking through neighborhoods, and as they pray, they're also picking up trash. And they're believing that not only is God cleaning up the city, but He's cleaning up hearts. Amen? We've got worship nights coming up February the 20th. We've got an all-church worship night. We're just all going to get together. We're going to gather in this room. We're going to go after the heart of God. And then you can get the calendar out there at the prayer uh, wall out there that we have. You can grab a calendar where every single day there's a theme that we're praying together as a church. There's so many opportunities. But what excites me, church, more than anything else, what excites me is a bunch of people 
who get their hearts stirred, where 24 hours a day, seven days a week, there's prayer happening in the city. Amen? Revival starts to be birthed in the heart of the church. Redemption starts to happen in the heart of the city. Spreads all over Kansas. The rest of the country starts hearing about what's happening in Kansas. They want to know what's, what's going on. And all of a sudden, they begin to catch that same revival fire. And it spreads and it spreads and it spreads. So what I want to do today, we're going to close out with this last song. Man, I know we're going long. I don't, I don't care. People can wait. Amen? What I want to do right now is everybody in here has hearts right now for somebody that you're thinking of that needs to know this hope, man. And they need that intercession. They need the hand of God. And they need you to grab their hand. And they need you to pull them together. So I'm going to ask lights. Would you just dim the lights? Prayer team's going to, or the worship team's going to be worshiping. Prayer team's going to be up here. If you need them, come grab them. If you just need them to pray over you, come grab them. Prayer team coming up. But here's what I'm going to ask you to do. You can stand. You can sit. You can get on your faces. You can go to the walls. You can come up to the front. You can come up here. Would you intercede for the next five minutes? As this band plays, would you intercede on somebody's behalf that today they encounter the love of Jesus? I just want to pray this over us. God, Father, I pray that you would stop time right now because somebody needs to know your love. So God, I pray that right now, Jesus, there would be hearts of intercession that would be stirred in this place. God, that we would be grabbing your hand and the hand of somebody else. God, even in the spiritual sense, even if they're not in this room, they're not in this state, God, they're not in this country, that we'd grab their hand, God, and that somehow they would encounter the God of the universe. God, I pray that you would stir the heart of intercessors in this place. More of you, God, intercessors, God, be stirred in this place. And that, God, we see revival break out in the church for the redemption, God, of our nation. So we pray this, Father, in your name, for your glory, for your fame. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Thanks for listening today. If you want to find out how to get involved, go to reliancecommunity.org.